The following podcast contains a bit of explicit material, but much, much more that is not explicit, just as a percentage. It's Thursday, April 18th, 2019 from Slate. It's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. I guess today wound up being a bad day to start Finnegan's Wake. Did you see there was this other piece of reading material? The Mueller Report. So in Attorney General William Barr's summary, not his summary, okay, his uh, short-ish synopsis of the Mueller report that came out a couple weeks ago, he wrote the following. The special counsel recognized that, quote, and here he's quoting from the Mueller report, quote, the evidence does not establish that the president was involved in an underlying crime related to Russian election interference. Hmm, that seems pretty, I'm not going to say exonerating, but good for the president. Yeah, listen to the full quote from the Mueller report. In this investigation, the evidence does not establish that the president was involved in an underlying crime related to Russian election interference. (gasps) But the evidence does point to a range of other possible personal motives animating the president's conduct. These include concerns that continued investigations would call into question the legitimacy of his election and potential uncertainty about whether certain events, such as an advance notice of WikiLeaks release of hacked information or the June 9th, 2016 meeting between senior campaign officials and Russians, could be seen as criminal criminal activity by the president, his campaign, or his family. Well, fancy bear that. This report fleshes out a lot. It actually confirms some of the Trump team's narrative. It rebuts a lot of the other narrative. And it does a lot of confirming of what has been reported, which means the media got it very right very often. And there were fun little snippets. There was Michael Cohen believing, until he talked to the Mueller team, that he had been in contact with a champion Russian weightlifter named Dmitry Klokov. Turns out he was in contact with some other much more nebbishy Dmitry Klokov. But luckily, this one was an actual oligarch, not just, uh, you know, skilled at the snatch. Then there was Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who admitted to flat out lying about why her boss fired Comey. She said that countless members of the FBI had lost faith in the former director. When she fibbed in this manner, a reporter at that press conference said, incredulously, you personally have talked to countless FBI officials, employees since this happened? And she answered, correct. Now we'll read from the Mueller report. Sanders told this office that her reference to hearing from countless members of the FBI was a slip of the tongue. She also recalled that her statement in a separate press interview that rank-and-file FBI agents had lost confidence in Comey was a comment she made in the heat of the moment that was not founded on anything. If that footnote had gone on longer, I'm sure she would have claimed whoopsie-daisy, backsies, and a mulligan. Look, it probably seems right now that a full FBI task force vetting Sarah Huckabee Sanders would be a good thing. There'd be a lot of material. Trust me, it will exhaust our fine men and women of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Finally, last thing, and in the spiel, I'll get to a lot more things in our interview too, but last thing right here and right up top. Just want to note that this document does prove that Trump was so wrong about the politics involved. He was sure this investigation would end him. He was sure that he was, in his words, fucked. So he obstructed. Or he knew he was guilty of collusion. That's the other explanation. But let's just take the findings as they are. No coordination and cooperation. Let's just actually apply the kindest reading to his motivations. His political instincts drove him to interfere. And I didn't say obstruct, interfere. 
and that drove him to distraction. And it still might drive Congress to impeach him. And it was all premised on the conviction that he would be convicted. So at the very least, this report might not undo the guy, but I hope it further undoes the idea that he has good instincts or tactics or is in any way a good politician. I'm not going for good person. I'm not going to even argue good policymaker. But this report, in a pretty large way, shows that the kindest interpretation for Trump is that the biggest headache, from his perspective, the biggest obstacle to success so far is his fundamental misreadings of politics, a misreading so disastrous, I will say that it still may end him. On the show today, it's this, it's all of this, but more. The spiel is my defense of the Mueller report. Sure, indictment equals excitement, but for not deigning to indict, it turns out that Mueller was right. But first, a reporter and a Mueller expert who has been following the twists and turns of this thing, like Kirill Dmitriev, was following the machinations of the World Chess Federation. Okay, that is a Mueller report deep cut. I promise I will not drown you as I talk to Garrett Graff. Joining me now is Garrett Graff. Who better to have than Garrett Graff to talk about this report on this day? He is a contributing editor to Wired Magazine and has written the, not just the definitive, but the biography of Robert Mueller. Thanks for joining me. My pleasure. Are there any specifics? Are there any, as someone who has followed this story, are there many facts, important or just curious, that you literally learned for the first time and that filled in pieces of the puzzle for you? Oh, I mean, I think on almost every single page in this. Um, oh, good. Go ahead. Give me some. The Russian government expected to benefit from a Trump presidency and that the Trump campaign was aware of Russia's attack on the 2016 election and their Democratic opponent and expected to benefit from that politically, but that while there was awareness of each other's efforts, there wasn't necessarily an agreement between the efforts. Um, can I swear on this podcast? Please. Okay. So, I mean, there's this remarkable scene that Mueller tells us about for the first time where Jeff Sessions, then the attorney general, says in May 2017 that a special counsel has been appointed and uh, Trump slumps back in his chair, says, this is terrible. This is the end of my presidency. I'm fucked. Yeah. That is an interesting scene in and of itself, uh, but then particularly interesting in the context of what then Mueller lays out, which is these 10 instances that he investigates that could rise to the question of obstruction. It ranges from trying to cover up some activities to press others to lie about things that took place, including pressing Don McGahn, his White House counsel, to say that President Trump never told McGahn to try to fire Mueller. Um, I, I mean, so this is it's a remarkably detailed document uh, that, uh, you know, on almost every single page advances our understanding of uh, what has transpired in the Trump world since 2015, 2016. 
Well, let's take a specific uh, incident that I think the report more or less backs up the Trump team version of, which is the Trump Tower meeting with the lawyer Vetselnitskaya. There was nothing in the report that led me to believe there was nothing solid that's more nefarious than a Rob Goldstone uh, email to Don Jr., a phrase in the middle of a sentence, if it's what you say, I love it. But really... She didn't have much to deliver, and senior members of the Trump team immediately said this is a waste of time. That's the picture the report seems to paint, which is more or less what the Trump team said. Yes, uh, with the following caveat to that. Mm -hmm. One of the things that does remain odd and suspicious through this entire report, through this entire investigation, is the extent to which uh, the Trump campaign parried this interest and these approaches and these contacts by various Russians uh, and, and never saw fit to mention them to U.S. law enforcement or U.S. intelligence, even after getting defensive briefings from the FBI saying, hey, you should be aware of and wary of foreign governments trying to assist you. And by the way, you know, one of the reasons – and, you know, you know politics, so you, you, you understand this. One of the reasons why on a political campaign, if you are approached by people from foreign countries offering gifts, one of the reasons that you call the FBI is simply to protect yourself. That yeah, you as, as, the Gore camp, as the Gore campaign did when it, it got some leaked uh, debate prep. Exactly. That you assume that you are being victim of a dirty trick of some kind and that you want to be able to be sure that you did the right thing. And that that's uh, the fact that the Trump campaign uh, had all of these contacts, all of these meetings, uh, had all of these approaches by Russians and never chose to do the right thing in and of itself remains odd. Other than the idea of there was corruption and coordination, the other big explanation for why Trump and his team would have acted this way to stymie the investigation and to thwart people who were looking into it, it's all there in the report. It says it time and time again that so many of his advisors said that he and, and they saw the investigation as undermining the magnitude of his victory, the legitimacy of his presidency, maybe his ability to get things done. Okay. I, I mean, I buy that. I buy that he'd be a thin-skinned man who hates being questioned about how much he actually deserved credit for anything. My question to you is, even if that was what's going on in his mind and that's why he was upset with Comey, Sessions, and everyone else, could you still get an obstruction? Um, I, I know Congress can decide to define it however they want. Would it still be legitimate to get an obstruction um, proceeding going if all that he was, if the reason he was trying to obstruct it was not to cover up collusion, but just because he hated the headache and hated being questioned. Uh, absolutely. And in fact, uh, that those are to a certain extent, the only circumstances under which we have ever impeached presidents for obstruction. The scenario that is laid out in in the Mueller report looks a lot like what 
faced people with Richard Nixon and Watergate and Bill Clinton and Whitewater. Right. Um, Because people might not realize that it's never been proved, and it's actually quite possible that Nixon did not know about the break-in. So imagine a world where Nixon didn't know about the break-in and the articles of impeachment that didn't have a chance to come to be because he resigned got passed. Uh, We wouldn't think of that as such a crazy world. That's essentially what you're talking about in this case. Absolutely, and that in many ways... You know, the the fact that the president was responding so aggressively to attempt to obstruct justice if he didn't do anything wrong underneath it is in some ways actually even more troubling. That if he sort of just saw this uh, as the press delegitimizing him and that his answer in response to that was to break the law – Um, or attempt to break the law, you know, that is not presidential behavior. In some cases, uh, you know, Mueller says, you know, we decided not to bring criminal charges against them because we simply couldn't prove that they actually knew that what they were doing was illegal. Um, And that's particularly true in some of the campaign finance questions uh, surrounding the Russia probe and the 2016 campaign. And that, you know, Mueller really uh, says in certain places that ignorance of the law actually in this case is an excuse for some of the people. Um, I do think and I wonder if politically the fact that the predicate has so often been laid by people who uh, are desirous of the president being impeached, the predicate along the lines of, why would he go to these lengths if he wasn't covering something up? Or that speaks to a guilty conscience, it seems to me. Like, it doesn't have to, but because we've said it so often, if you can't really prove the guilt, maybe that undermines, in practical terms, not in what's possible or what's right, but maybe harping so much on the fact that obstruction was to the ends of covering up uh, corruption or coordination, maybe that, to some extent, thwarts the practicality of an impeachment. Yeah, and this you know this also figures into some of what Barr has been talking about, which is Barr's legal theory seems to be that you can't obstruct justice if there's no underlying crime. Yeah, um, which <laughs> sorry, Martha is, Stewart. Yeah, yeah, which is uh, you know not just factually untrue, but demonstrably untrue in other high-profile cases. Uh, relatively recently, like Martha yeah. Stewart. Yeah, and also just and, thinking about it for a second, how that would work with justice if you get a you get a pass on any time you obstruct something that there's no crime. Good luck with any investigation. Exactly, and there's sort of this weird. Um, there is this weird underlying tone to some of the first half, the volume one of the Mueller report that deals with the Russian investigation, the Russian attack in 2016, where Mueller basically comes out and says, I wasn't able to get all of the information that I wanted uh, and am unable to resolve some of these questions myself. And so, uh, you know, basically... if I wasn't obstructed so much along the way, I might actually have a different decision on conspiracy or collusion. Yeah. He doesn't say it uh, explicitly, but I got an understanding about what I thought going in was the most legitimate criticism of the job he did, which is not subpoenaing Trump. And I think that it's because 
what Trump says and what Trump's lawyer says were essentially true, that the biggest reason to do that would be that it was a perjury trap. Without subpoenaing Trump, he could still fill in a sufficient enough narrative to hand off to, say, the House of Representatives and say, I think you have the information. It won't be easy. It would be a lot easier were the president to lie under oath. But you still have, if you have the political will or wisdom to do it, if you choose to, to indict, charge, impeach the president. And and that's why I think he didn't insist on interviewing Trump. I also think there's an interesting, uh, you know, Mueller wouldn't say this, but I wouldn't be surprised if there was also the question of, you know, knowing who Donald Trump actually is um, and, and what his pattern of behavior is. You know, this is someone who lies about everything all of the time, whether it's meaningful or not. Um, you know, up to and including sort of his new, recent, bizarre, pointless lie that his father was born in Germany, um, which he has been repeating uh, multiple times in recent weeks. <laughs> if you actually thought that the president was probably going to lie to you anyway, even if you made it through all of those hoops, um, you know, it, is that worth it? You know, leaving aside the question of, you know, could you have then nailed him in a perjury trap and whether that would be worth it, yeah. you know, the the question of whether you could actually get the truth from this president, even if you did subpoena him and win the court battles to actually bring him in to be questioned, uh, I think is actually not a straightforward one. That's interesting. Uh, I think 99 prosecutors out of 100, if you told them, look, all that you might get out of an interview is perjury on on the part of uh, the witness, they'd say, ooh, good. Well, except that uh, – so, uh, yes, and I think that that's the case of everyone short of the president in this particular case, huh. you know – Mind you, to, to a certain extent, that was precisely what Ken Starr nailed Bill Clinton on. But that was because we were horrified that Bill Clinton lied. You know, you could sort of imagine Bob Mueller coming out at the end of this and saying, I've got nothing on Donald Trump except for this one lie he told in this subpoena battle. And everyone would be like, well, yeah, like – what, what would you expect of him? Of course he was going to lie about that. Yeah, yeah. And the people who were most upset with him, though, I mean, they'd love that. That's what, that's what they'd want. I, mm-hmm. think that, I think that Mueller is so assiduously fair, sometimes it's hard for us to see it because maybe people on the ground describe fair or just in terms of the just outcome, but I think he describes just in terms of the process. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you one last thing, or maybe two last things. Was there a redaction or a slew of redactions that you wish you could have seen that you think would really fill us in on some big still unanswered questions? Yeah, so I think that one of the big revelations out of this is the idea that there are a total of 14 other investigations that have spun out of the Mueller probe that he has referred on to other prosecutors. And so we know of two of them, Michael Cohen and Greg Craig. Um, Twelve of them uh, are still redacted in this document. And so we might know of them, we might not. But the, I, I think that that single set of facts alone makes clear that while Bob Mueller's role in this case might be over, uh, the 
the investigation itself isn't, and yes. that this is something that's going to continue to unfold, um, you know, potentially for months ahead. And do you think other than covering himself in ignominy, did Attorney General Barr's words have any real effect on uh, justice moving forward? No, and I actually think uh, Barr has done real and substantial harm to his own reputation uh, and the role, the traditional role of the attorney general in the U.S. government. That, you know, Barr's press conference sounded a lot like the president's personal defense attorney, not the nation's highest law enforcement officer. And that, you know, there were a lot of people who saw Barr coming into this, uh, you know, he's a former attorney general himself, has dedicated years of his life to the Department of Justice, saw him as an institutionalist and as someone who, um, you know, really could have made uh, an impact in rebuilding and rebolstering the a pretty beleaguered institution that is the Justice Department sort of two years into Donald Trump and in, in you know ways big and small uh, over these last couple of weeks, Barr has made clear that he is not there as a champion of the rule of law. He is there as a Trump partisan and he was giving, as they say, a press conference today for an audience of one. So here are some people or entities who I think wind up looking good. Number one, the media. Just that so much of this was reported and reported accurately. Absolutely. I mean, the, the extent to which so many people are not surprised by uh, the totality of this uh, report actually is a sign of how much of the underlying journalism it's actually bolstered. I think Chris Christie gave Trump great advice and he didn't take it. I actually think the president's legal team writ large yeah, uh, comes McGann out looking pretty, pretty good. Well. Yeah. Um, you know, Don McGahn, the Raskins, um, you know, Rudy Giuliani, Jay Sekulow, um, you know, they they were right uh, clearly in this really two-handed approach of providing witnesses and documents to fill in enough of the information around uh, around Mueller's questions around Trump uh, while also holding back the president himself. Um, and, and that seems like today a very smart decision. Vindication for Rudy. Garrett Graff is the definitive and maybe even the only biographer of Robert Mueller, and he is a contributing editor to Wired Magazine. Thank you so much. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here. Don't have time to read the whole Mueller report? Now there's a podcast for that. Listen to Slate's Gabriel Roth and June Thomas read the special counsel's executive summaries in our free mini audiobook. Just search for Trumpcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. And now the spiel. I think Mueller did a great job. I'm not sure how great because retractions... But you, I would guess there is a strong chance, if you are listening to this show, that you are a bit disappointed. You probably wish Mueller would have subpoenaed Trump or have been more forceful in saying, this, my friends, is, in fact, obstruction. But Robert Mueller has a strong sense of process, and it goes way beyond Donald Trump. 
I believe the just outcome for Donald Trump is impeachment, maybe not for this, but for blatant violations of the emoluments clause. And he is clearly enriching himself during his presidency. Also, I think there's strong evidence that he and his children and his son-in-law are essentially selling U.S. foreign policy for personal gain. That aside, we must remember that the Donald Trump of the Mueller report is not the Donald Trump who put babies in cages and calls Maxine Waters a low IQ individual who engages in boneheaded tariff spats, who enables dictators who has lied between 4,000 and 12,000 times. Mueller only considers the contours of this case and where this case may lead him. His remit was how Donald Trump benefited from Russian interference and what Donald Trump did to thwart the investigation thereof. So do you think, having read the report or having heard about it on this show and elsewhere, do you think that charges could have been brought against Donald Trump? I do. So does Mueller. And literally, they could be. But he's not going to say that this is such a slam dunk case because it's not a slam dunk case. And I mean that epistemologically, not prosecutorially. As frustrating, as unsatisfying as it may seem, there is a deep ambiguity in Trump's attitude and his intentions, which are relevant here. There's a law where intent matters. Come with me as I do a little thought experiment. Imagine a Robert Mueller who issues this exact report That's all the same, but the world he issues it into is vastly different, right? Donald Trump doesn't have his perplexing 41% approval rating. It's half that. The country's already gotten wise to him. In the last elections, he and the Republicans got wiped out, right? Republicans not only lost the House, they lost the Senate. Uh, Maybe we'll even say some senators not up for election flipped, right? So Susan Collins is now on Team Blue in our imagined world. And an angry public, just as angry as, say, the MSNBC viewership, reads the report that came out today. And they see so much obstruction. And their elected leaders see them seeing obstruction. And therefore, they see it too. So Nancy Pelosi knows she can get that vote for impeachment. The Senate's not looking any more hospitable than that. Now, do you say in that world, Mueller did a bad job? It's the same report. He doesn't leave out any facts. He gathers them. He makes sure never to get ahead of himself. His report, the very report that you today may be considering toothless, the very report in that different world serves as a blueprint for the impeachment that would happen if things were different and more just. But you cannot impose justice on an unjust world, and the Mueller report does not seek to try. That doesn't mean the report is flawed. But like I've been saying, if you change the politics and the background conditions, but keep the report, you might very well get the result you wanted, which is a Trump impeachment. Meaning, if you keep the report as the independent variable, and if you get a result that's very different, it tells you that the report's not the problem. Is an eagle a powerful and strong bird? It is. Can an eagle withstand Category 5 hurricane winds? It cannot. Did the eagle just become a less powerful bird? With the caveat that we don't know it was redacted, think about how the nature of the Mueller report would change if it were to have recommended obstruction or even charged him with obstruction. It would have been different from the report the way it reads now. It would have been uncharacteristically subjective. In the report, Mueller lays out facts. He quotes sources. He fits together puzzle pieces. He defines terms, but he never opines. For a charge to have been leveled based on the facts that we read, the report would have to say something like, it's hard to believe, or it defies an innocent explanation, or the only fair interpretation is. And the report doesn't do that. 
It allows for an outside entity, in fact, the very entity tasked with impeaching the president, to make that interpretation, but it doesn't go there. Of course, this world that I'm imagining, right, this world of a smart, capable, responsible Congress truly acting in the public interest, it's also a world that wouldn't have elected Donald Trump in the first place. On a more hopeful note, a world, the world we live in now, a world that I hope takes this report seriously, and I also hope doesn't get sidetracked by dishonest spin that the report offers even a modicum of exoneration. That is a world that is ready to make the right decision next time. The Mueller report quotes Donald Trump as worrying. Oh my God, this is terrible. This is the end of my presidency. I'm fucked. He may yet be proved right. And that's it for today's show. Pierre Bien-Aimé and Daniel Schrader produced the gist. They note that with a Category 5 hurricane, an eagle would know about it beforehand and probably avoid it. They're also really good at perching. We're just saying this in the interest of avian accuracy. T.J. Raphael is senior producer of Slate Podcast, and she acknowledges that, yes, she is also the champion weightlifter, T.J. Raphael. Though, she says this, she stares wistfully into the distance and allows, that was a different time flexes her lats. The gist. First, do no harm. Next, do crazy shit. Oom peru, de peru, do peru, and thanks for listening.